Due to the coronavirus, we have not been meeting together as a church, and so we are recording the next several series of messages as Bible study devotionals for at-home use. If you would like to see videotape recordings of these or to receive uh, our at-home worship guide, please go to graceclanton.com, and if you click on Coronavirus Updates, you should find all the information that you need. Thank you. Hey, Grace Fellowship. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different this morning, not as if this isn't already different enough. I know that we talked about Easter last Sunday, because last Sunday was Easter Sunday, but I want to go back to Easter weekend, uh, and I want to reflect on a few uh, of the moments in Jesus' life leading up to the cross, leading up to the resurrection, uh, because I want us to look at uh, the pattern of Jesus' life, um, the, and I want us to see how the crucifixion and the, resur- and the resurrection of Jesus, not only are they what saves the Christian, but they also provide uh, a roadmap for the Christian. Uh, Paul, Paul Miller, the author Paul Miller, calls it the J-curve, the, that the dying and rising of Christ not only are our salvation, but they, all, they also show us what life, the ordinary Christian life, is to look like. Uh, and actually, when you begin to look at the Bible, you see this roadmap uh, all over the place. Uh, we saw it in Romans 6 earlier. If you read along in the worship guide, we read Romans 6. You see it in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. You see it in the lives of Moses and Abraham where they have to die to a certain way of life uh, so that they can follow God into a new life. And the same is true of you and me, and the same is true of Jesus. We see this in Jesus' life. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to actually look at, we're going to start off with two passages, uh, and then we're going to look at some different moments of that first Easter weekend to see this pattern, and then hopefully draw out some things uh, to see how it applies to us. Uh, And so the first passage that we're going to read this morning is Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 21 through 24, uh, and then we're going to flip over and look at some verses in John chapter 12. Uh, And so let's give our attention to God's Word from Luke chapter 9, verses 21 through 24. And he strictly charged and commanded them uh, to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then John 12, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 26. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray and ask for God's help in understanding and applying his word. Father, 
Would you open again your word to us? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the good news of your crucifixion and your resurrection that not only pay our debt, but also bring us new life and, as we will see, uh, provide a pathway for us as well to begin to understand our own experiences and what it means to follow you. Holy Spirit, would you be at work in our hearts? Help us to give attention to your word. Uh, and to live it faithfully. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, so the path uh, is clear, right? The, the dying and rising of Jesus as a pathway, uh, that's the principle we're looking at. And actually, that's not a new principle uh, for us at Grace Fellowship. We've talked about it before, that uh, for Jesus and for the Christian, that the way up begins by going down that Jesus must uh, be crucified in order to rise, that the Christian must die in Jesus in order uh, to be raised to new life. Uh, so that, that pathway is not a new thing for our church. But what I want to do this morning is look at several of Jesus' last moments and, and see and just kind of stop and look at some different uh, points along that pathway and see how Jesus' experience um, guides us in our own experience of everyday life. How do we live Easter, in a sense, every day? Uh, and so the first place that I want to stop, and actually before I, before I do that, let me say this. Only Jesus saves. And so when, I, when I'm talking about Jesus providing a pathway uh, or a map for us to understand our lives, I'm not saying that we... Um, that we replace Jesus. I'm not saying that we can save ourselves. I'm not saying that we are little mini-saviors to other people. Only Jesus can do what Jesus does. What I am saying is that, yes, Jesus' death and resurrection uh, provide, provide our salvation, but they also give us a map. They also give us a pathway, and it's that part that I want to talk about today. So, Uh, The first place that I want to stop uh, and and take a look is Luke 22. Luke 22. Uh, This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, verses uh, 41 through 44. Uh, We looked at this passage a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to cover all of the same ground, but just remember that this is Thursday night. Uh, Jesus is about to be arrested. He will be crucified the following day. Um, and so Jesus is with his disciples in the garden, and he is praying. And so let's pick up the story in Luke twenty-two, forty-one. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, so when we looked at this a few weeks ago, just remember that the cup that Jesus wants God the Father to remove from him is the cup of of wrath, the cup of God's wrath poured out against sin. Uh, Jesus realizes, uh, Jesus sees what it is he's about to lose. 
Jesus realizes that he is about to lose what matters most to him. And how does he respond to that loss? He grieves. He cries out to God. Um, Jesus grieves. And that sentence right there, that may be revolutionary for you. I don't know how you've learned uh, to handle your grief, uh, but in my life, as, I fa- have, as, as I've faced different losses and traumas, uh, usually the way that I respond to grief is I just, usually the way that I respond to loss is I just bury it. Bury it, don't talk about it, and usually I medicate with activity. Right? So I deal with loss and sadness by just getting busy, by doing lots of other things to kind of medicate myself away from the grief. Rather than step into the grief, I, I bury it and pretend it's not there. And I wonder if uh, we, we all do the same thing. All of, us, all of us have faced, like facing loss in this life is inevitable. Uh, whether that's the, the death of a loved one, the loss of your health, even the minor losses that just come with day in, day out living, minor disappointments and frustrations, uh, all of those need to be grieved. And, and typically what we do is we, we just plow on through. And so what I want you to see is that, that Jesus doesn't do that. When facing loss, Jesus grieves. There's a, a great movie uh, from Pixar. It's probably my favorite Pixar movie, and I realize for many of you, you think ah, cartoons are made for kids. I'm never going to watch that. But I would really encourage you to watch Inside Out. Uh, it's, this, it's a great story. Uh, it looks at the inner life, the emotional life of uh, this girl as she has to move across country, away from familiarity, away from friends to a, a whole new place. Uh, and it follows her emotions. Uh, joy, sadness, anger, fear, disgust. And it goes inside of her head into this control center and it follows these emotions as they respond to this loss, to this move, this upheaval in their lives. And the main character is Joy. And Joy is dead set on making this a great experience. She is, she is so coercive that she, she demands, she, she goes around the control center and tells everyone else what they are to do so that this will be a great experience, so they're going to have a good time. And she actually goes to sadness. Joy does not understand sadness. Her and sadness do not get along. And so what she does is she draws a circle on the ground. Uh, and she tells sadness that she cannot leave that circle. And isn't that how we often handle our sadness? We, we push it into a corner and we tell it not to move. And what I want you to see first is that Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus grieves loss. He laments. Now, you may not be familiar with that word, lament. That's a Bible word. Um, and it means the expression, the emotional expression of grief or sadness. Uh, and did you know that the book of Psalms in the Bible, uh, the songbook of the scriptures, most of the Psalms are laments, are these songs of grief expressing sadness to God. How different is that from our typically typical kind of American evangelical experience, right? Our our cultural experience is, 
Let's put on a happy face and just keep on marching and go through it. But that's not the biblical expression. Jesus weeps, Jesus grieves, he laments, and we need to learn to do the same. In fact, Jesus uh, on the cross, uh, Matthew tells us that as Jesus is dying, he cries out to God. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a lament. Uh, And it comes from Psalm 22, and it's not a sin. Jesus does not sin when he grieves. Grieving is not a sin. Right? Entering into loss is not a sin. Uh, and so Jesus laments. Uh, and so I would ask you, how, what are the losses that you need to grieve? The big losses and the small losses. What, what has God brought into your life uh, that you need to grieve, that you need to deal with? Not bury, not stuff, but actually move into and grieve. Jesus does that. So can we. And then the next thing I want you to see is that Jesus, not only does Jesus grieve, but Jesus also lives in trust. Uh, Jesus moves from grief to trust. The next passage I want us to look at is from Luke 24, excuse me, Luke 23. Uh, They're Jesus' last words on the cross. Uh, And before we we look at those those words, I want to go back to the the Pixar movie, back to Inside Out for just a minute. Something else that happens, I don't want to ruin the story for you, but when joy tries to squash sadness, uh, tries to keep sadness away, she actually causes great damage and she hinders her own growth. Joy needs sadness in order to become fuller and deeper, and more mature. And you and I are the same way. The more that we restrict, the more that we say, uh, I'm not going to grieve. I'm not going to go this pathway. I'm not going to go the downward path. I'm going to resist that. We actually limit ourselves. We shrivel in our hearts. We don't grow and expand. This is the path of maturity. This is the path of growth. Um, in fact, uh, the writer of the Hebrews says this about Jesus in Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 8. says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Uh, there's a lot that could be unpacked there. But yes, as God's Son, as the Son of God from all eternity, Jesus was perfectly obedient. Uh, he obediently um, aligned with his Father's will. And yet, as a human, as our uh, sacrifice, as our sin bearer, he had, to, um, he had to live a perfect life. He had to learn what it meant to obey through experience. I think that's what... The, he, the author of the Hebrews is talking about, that he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus experienced what it meant to follow God. He didn't have to unlearn disobedience like you and I do, but he did have to experience obedience through suffering. Uh, and that's, that's instructive for us. Uh, Jesus goes on the downward path through suffering so that he can begin to move up, upward, and we do 
uh, the same thing. The same is true of us. Let's look at Jesus' last words on the cross. They come from Luke 23, verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What do you imagine? What, what is your imagination? What mental pictures come to mind when you hear those words? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. For me, I imagine, I imagine laying down. I imagine being able to rest. Uh, so Jesus moves from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, into, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He moves from Psalm 22, that his first, uh, the first part was from Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. Uh, and he moves then into Psalm 31. That's where that last line, his last words come from Psalm 31. And I encourage you, go back and read both those psalms and, and read them in the context of Jesus' life. Read them in the context of your own life. But Jesus, is, Jesus moves, uh, as he moves through grief, he's able to lament and cry out to God, and he's also able to live in trust. Now, you may not be able to make that move that fast. Uh, I may not be able to make that move that fast. But that's the direction, right? That's the map of our, of our life following Jesus, that as we grieve, we're actually learning to trust God. We're actually trying to get to the point where we can say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I rest in you. So as you think about those losses that you need to grieve, and those are a part of your story, they're a part of my story. As you think about the losses that you need to grieve, how do they expose your sinfulness? How do they expose false gods that you're trusting in? What is, what is God, how is God moving you closer to himself through that? Uh, my friend Neil tells a story about a woodcarver who makes these uh, carvings of horses. And one time he was asked, he said, the, the, someone asked him, how do you take a block of wood and turn it into this beautiful picture, this beautiful carving of a horse? And the man's answer was simple. He said, well, I just take my knife and I start whittling away everything that doesn't look like a horse. Can you see that as you move through grief, as, you, as we walk this road with Jesus, that he's whittling away everything that doesn't look like him? So as we go through this process, be asking that question. Uh, how, uh, how is God shaping me into the image of Jesus? How is he drawing me to trust in him? Uh, how am I learning obedience through what I'm suffering? So Jesus grieves. Jesus lives in trust. And then uh, we see the upward, right? So again, Paul Miller's thing is the J-curve, right? There's the downward, there's the dying, and then there's the rising. And so let's look again at John 12 as we talk about what it means uh, to, to, to move into life. Death leads to life for Jesus. Uh, and death leads to life for us. We often, uh, we often see death as kind of this terminating point. Like we want to avoid it at all cost. 
But Jesus, if we're following Jesus down this road, uh, for him, death is just the, the bottom of the J that begins moving upward. And the same is true of us as well. So uh, looking again at John 12, let's look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You understand Jesus' word picture. Um, comes from the world of agriculture, the world of farming. If a seed remains on the stalk, if it doesn't fall into the ground, if it's not planted, more, more fruit can't be born. Right? There, more, more grain will not grow if the seeds don't go into the ground. So I want you to imagine uh, a seed, a, a, a grain of, of wheat at the top of a stalk. You can probably, you've probably seen one in person or you can look up a picture, but right, that roundish golden grain uh, waving in the sun. And I want you to imagine that seed saying, man, it's really warm up here. I really enjoy basking in the sun. I don't want to fall to the earth. I don't, I don't want to fall into the ground. I don't want to be planted. I won't be planted. I refuse to be planted. Now, that seems a little silly, I know. But that's, that's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's what we often do, right? When Jesus says, uh, when he talks about whoever loves his life, he means to, to preserve it just the way that it is, right? To avoid loss, to bury grief, to, to do whatever will make me the most comfortable, right? Preserving the status quo. Uh, but Jesus says that if we do that, then we will actually lose what we're trying so hard to preserve. And maybe you can think of examples uh, from your own life something that you tried to fight for so much that you, it actually backfired on you. Uh, and the very thing that you wanted the most, you actually lost. Jesus is saying we have a tendency to do that. And that the, that the kingdom life, the, the, the Jesus-centered life, actually runs the opposite direction. We can't preserve what we have. We actually need to lose what we have so that we can gain something better. Uh, so when Jesus says... You have to hate your life. He, he's not meaning that you go around gloomy and angry, just mad about everything. But he means that you have to be willing to give up what uh, you have to be. You have to be willing to give up uh, what you're trying to preserve. Right? That the uh, go back to that stalk of grain. That the seed's ultimate life is not found in remaining on the stalk, but actually in being planted on the ground. The seed has to lose itself so that more fruit can be born. And giving itself away, new life is created. And that's resurrection, right? That's the upward swing of the J-curve, right? Jesus himself is the seed who bears much fruit. Uh, Paul uh, says this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he refers to Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first stalk to shoot out of the ground, and everyone who believes in Jesus will follow him. This is what Jesus did. He rose that others may rise after him. 
Right? Jesus must die in order to rise again. And the same is true of you and me. Uh, this is meant to be our daily experience. Die, dying to self, dying and rising again. And that rising again looks like us coming out of death, being able to love other people, being able to bear much fruit. Is, is that how you look at your daily experience? Is that how you look at what it means to follow Jesus on this map? I know that that, is, that runs against the grain of our natures, right? Against the grain of our, our culture, against the grain of our lives, right? We, um, we want excellence. We want success. We want comfort. We want security. But that may not actually be the Jesus way. We may be trying to hold on to something that Jesus isn't all that concerned with us holding on to. Jesus tells, it that, tells us that the most rewarding path runs against the grain of our natures, right? It, the most rewarding path in the end is the one that Jesus maps out for us on that Easter weekend, on the, in the dying and the rising. It's the one that he travels himself. Right? He, we're, he, doesn't, he is not calling us to something that he himself has not done. And he's not calling us to something that he himself does not empower. The most rewarding path is the one that Jesus invites you and invites me to follow him on. Will we do that? Will we trust Jesus and uh, follow his invitation? I hope we will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for mapping out our lives. Yes, in giving your life and rising again so that we may have newness of life, but also in showing us the path we are to walk. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do that, that we may bear much fruit. And would you constantly remind us that we don't do this in our own strength. Rather, we do it by grace through faith in Christ alone. Help us give, give what you command. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.